Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Light Gate. I'm Dolly Saffron, and Preston Cromwell is here with me. Uh, we are coming to you live from the beautiful city of New Orleans in Louisiana at uh, the United Public Radio Network at 107.7 FM and the UFO Paranormal Radio Network at 105.3 FM. We are on Roku, YouTube, uh, Facebook, and many other things. We have uh, radio stations listening to us, of course, and when we post pictures, we will do everything in our power to make you see verbally what we are seeing visually. Uh, we have a wonderful guest tonight, and not a lot of time. Two hours is not a lot of time. So here we go. Preston, it's all yours. <laughs> Thanks, Dolly. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on the Lightgate. Gosh, what episode are we at now? Let me see real quick. 33? Oh no, we're way beyond 33 dollars. Oh yeah, we're at episode 40 now. Wow. Oh yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, so we're we're booking right along. So yeah, thank you for joining us on episode 40 of the Light Gate. I am your host, Preston Dennett, author, researcher, and somewhat of an experiencer. And of course, my lovely co-host is experiencer Dolly Safran, subject of my book, Symmetry, A True UFO Adventure. We're so excited you could all join us tonight for what promises to be a truly amazing show. I've been following our guest for quite a long time, and she has a lot of interesting stories and research to share tonight. But before we get to that, let me just say a quick hello to all of you, because it's because of you that we do this show. So, who do we have here tonight? We have, hi, it's Alicia. So glad you could join us. And yes, this is going to be an amazing show. Doxy, hello. Brian Morgan, very cool. You guys joined us nice and early. Thank you so much. Real Badger, always nice to see you. And just a Gen X dirtbag. So glad you could join us. And I will admit that I am human, but I think in a past life, I may have been something else. <laughs> Who else do we have here? Wolf Girl. And apparently, Dolly's cousin. Very, very cool. All right. <laughs> and Raul Melendez. So very, very generous of you. Much love to you. Much thanks and gratitude. It's because of these amazing super chats that we are able to do this show. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Your generosity knows no bounds. Truly appreciated. Lunar Dove, th thanks for being here. And Octopus with no friends. I'm sure you have friends out there, Octopus. Yeah. <laughs> I sure hope so. Thank you, yes. Namaste. <laughs> what does Namaste mean, Dolly? Um, they uh, perceive you for who you really are. You greet one another in equal camaraderie. All right. Well, namaste, namaste. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Very, very kind of you. Catherine Four Feathers. glad you could join us. This is going to be an awesome episode. Star Orchid, thank you. And here is Louise saying hello all the way from New Jersey. Thank you for joining us. Oh my gosh, just a Gen X dirtbag baby. Thank you. So awesomely wonderful. Thank you. So, 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 so kind and generous of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow. Mark's Shed Talk, all the way from a very wet Brisbane, Australia. 
Thank you for joining us all the way from down under. Very, very cool. Z Sun Dragon. Who else do we got here? Linda Catlett. I think I may have already put up Don Curtis, did I? I don't remember. But hello, Don. And here, of course, is Chris. Fine. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Very cool. Cheryl, Arizona. AZ, Ruth Kleiber. It's awesome to see all these familiar names. Pogo, Pogo Joe, hello. Kimberly Mathias, hello, Wes H. And Fun Talks TV, who says, thank you for hosting this amazing podcast. It makes me really like Mondays. Hey, that's not an easy thing to do. So <laughs> you are welcome and thank you. Yes, Mondays, they can be a bit of a downer. Lynn Smith, John P. Adventures. Who else do we have here? So many people, goodness gracious. Susan Alloway, hello, Susan. I hope you're doing wonderful. And Linda Catlett, thanks for being here. And Shauna Lee, oh, another super chat. Oh my gosh, Thank you. so humbled and honored. Thank you so, so much, Shauna. It is very, very kind of you and means all, makes all the difference in the world. It really does. It's just lovely to know you guys are out there and care so much about us because we love you. <laughs> we really do. Hello, Lindsay Pinzer. And who else we have? John P. Adventures. Got a quite a nice group in chat. So I'm excited to get this show on the road and introduce our guest because she is amazing. And tonight, I am super happy to welcome here, let me put up the little ticker tape, Debbie Ziegelmeyer. And we're going to be talking about UFO waves and USOs and all kinds of interesting research that Debbie is currently doing. Debbie is a small business owner and scuba dive instructor from Imperial, Missouri, and she joined MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, in 2000 and became a field investigator shortly after and has investigated over, wait for it, 900 MUFON sighting reports. That's a lot. Debbie currently holds several positions in MUFON, including Director of Missouri, Functional Director of Underwater Research and Recovery. She's really one of the top experts in USOs and is a member of the Business Board of Directors. And she, along with Tom Ferrario, formed the MUFON Dive Team in 2003 and is a member of the Tom Ferrario CPTR Team, founded by Ted Phillips. Ted Phillips is, of course, super famous for investigating landing trace cases. Now, Debbie is also the author of a couple of books, including The Alien Colonization of Earth's Waterways, which is all about USOs, Unidentified Submersible Objects, and is the co-author with Margie Kay of the book, The 50th Anniversary of the Ozarks, Missouri UFO Flap. I'm super interested in that. I hope we can get to that. Debbie has been a Roswell, New Mexico festival speaker and was a volunteer archaeologist on the 2002 and 2006 Roswell Skip Site digs. 
And if you watch TV shows, you've probably seen her on TV. She's appeared on many UFO shows, most recently on one of my favorite of these kinds of shows, The Alaska Triangle. I love that show. It's very facts only, interviewing witnesses and getting firsthand cases. She's also been on several episodes of Roswell, The Final Verdict. She's appeared as a guest speaker on many radio and podcast shows and was a guest speaker on the 2019 MUFON Cruise and a MUFON Symposium guest speaker several years, 2013, 2017, and 2021. Done all kinds of speaking appearances, including the 2017 Devil's Tower UFO Rendezvous 2018, Alien Cosmic Expo in Toronto, Canada, Arkansas Paranormal Expo in 2018 and 2019, also 2022 and 2021 Oz Conference Speaker, and the 2022 Shag Harper Harbor UFO Expo. Uh, there is a link to some of her stuff in the show notes. And if she has any other links, we'll be sure to add them in there. But let's just bring Debbie on and waste no more time. Hi, Debbie. Hi. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, it's a true oh, honor. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised I have the time. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> this is a field that keeps you busy. Once you're in it, I mean, you are busy. <laughs> it it does. I mean, and just when you think that you've come near to solving um, a sighting, you know, a final outcome, new information pops up and it just starts all over again. So it's a never ending, but Preston knows that, don't you? <laughs> I do. Yep. There's a million rabbit holes. There's layers and layers to this. It's endlessly fascinating. It's constantly evolving. And boy, the field has been growing so fast. Wow. Yeah, this, this is my library behind me. It's just a few of the books. This is our MUFON office, our Missouri MUFON office. And my office, my work office, and my research office. Yeah. And then uh, down the hall, I have my war room that my team and I work in. It's just you know, a table and maps all over the walls. And I have a little mini dive museum. And then oh. just down the hallway from here is the MUFON um, lab, analytical lab. Nice. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> wow. this is serious stuff. It's funny. There are still skeptics out there and people who can't make a joke of all of this, but no. It's 100% serious. <laughs> All right. Well, as I kind of warned you before we got live, I always love to dive in to how this all began, begins for our guests. Like, I it's always us little kids running around, <laughs> and suddenly we realize, like, there's more going on than just us here on Earth. So how did it unfold for you? Did you have sightings? I mean, did, were you a believer? How did this all start for you? You know, it, it's, I tried to think about that. Um, seriously, how in the world? Uh, it was something that I always did. You know, I was always one of those ch children with a telescope, always one of them looking at the stars. I'd sneak out in the middle of the night and climb up the wall and then onto the garage roof and look at the stars and just, you know, dream of what was out there. Um, and, and kind of funny, I used to collect um, hourglasses. And if you think of the shape of an hourglass, it's Orion. 
Right. And from the time I was a little bitty, I was an odd child. You know, we'd go someplace and I went, oh, I, I had a whole collection of hourglasses. So maybe it was from looking at the sky like I did. But um, my my dad was a, a World War II hero who was injured in, and wow. frostbit in nor- landing in Normandy when, you know, he was lucky enough to survive. But he, we were wow. unable to stay in the cold we, we, I grew up in, well, I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it was too cold. So we moved to Southern Arizona where my mother's family was from and lived at the foot of Mount Graham. And that's, well, that's where the Vatican has a telescope now. So that also encouraged, I was in the desert, nothing else to do, but look at a beautiful sky. And um, I had a science teacher who every weekend um, would take his telescope out the football field and teach us about what we were looking at so and then you know tv shows and and then just kind of progressed (laughs) before i knew it yeah there was a lot of but raising a family a lot in between but then finally in in 2000 my children had grown actually 98 my children had grown up moved away and um they said mom get a life (laughs) (laughs) okay wow all right (laughs) doing what i want to do and i became a mufon investigator that's awesome. Wow. So what I mean, were you thinking of UFOs way back when you were a kid? Or? Oh, I have a collection. I mean, you can see some of the books back here. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh toys, some of the toys that I have. I was always a collector. I, I was a UFO enthusiast. And, and you know, it's kind of funny. Well, I grew up in Safford, Arizona. I'd be one of those kids with the uh, nuclear testing in Tucson. Most people don't know that, but in grade school, we weren't allowed to go outside sometimes because of a radioactive cloud going over. So there was a lot of activity. And um, I one day saw that and it actually flew. I saw the giant, the flying wing went right over our house low. I oh. did see that. So I was in a, an area, you know, with, with that kind of activity. And you know, I'm not only looking at the stars, but looking for, you know, duck and cover for the flash. And so we were very aware of our environment. <laughs> were you in Arizona when the whole Travis Walton story broke? You- uh, yeah, that was, uh, let's see, wait, that was 70. No, I was already here in Missouri. Uh-huh. That was, uh, I think, I believe 75 or was it 78? 78? I, I think it's, it's I was gonna say 73. Maybe it is 75. Yeah. I can call him and ask him. <laughs> 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 I got his book right behind me. Here, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have two or two or three books on the Travis case. All right. Well, so you have you seen a UFO then? I mean, you saw a flying wing. Have you seen actual craft ever? Oh my gosh! You know, you, you cannot investigate, um, which it's it's over. It, it's near a thousand now for MUFON, and then if, if private investigations as well, over a thousand investigations, and not having had seen something. Uh, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> um, Arnold, Missouri. When uh, let's see, that was nineteen. Would have been about seventy. I think it was 1975. There was a two silver metallic, like my fingernail, silver metallic spears, uh, right um, over the Kmart, up in the sky, stationary. The wind was blowing, my hair was whipping, and these two silver metallic spears, one on top of the other, broad daylight, two thirty in the afternoon. Everybody saw it. Everybody was outside. They said it was weather balloons from Texas. <laughs> um, I'm. <laughs> Also, right uh, across the river from the 2000, the January 
fifth 2000 sighting from all the police departments, Carondelet and Dupo and all of that. Oh, wow. Uh, that right. Just the year before I had had a sighting of a, of a, uh, a rectangle craft come right over the top of me. Uh, I've had some of my investigations. I've got some phenomenal video of uh, it, it's some of the unknown things where I've gone on investigations with my, my Missouri team here and set up uh, Skywatch and picked up things that cannot be explained. Oh, and then I even talk about the sighting. It's in my uh, my book. I, uh, I was on a cruise in 2006, Royal Caribbean, leaving St. Thomas, headed to St. Martin. Have a great picture of uh, three UFOs, two of them hovering right over the water and one kind of in the cloud, like it's either coming down or maybe it just come up and it was cloaking. Got it right through. Um, it was an open area right over the railing of the ship. It reset wow. my camera from January 26th to uh, February 5th, I believe it was. So, yes, I had a sighting off of a cruise ship. It was, uh, they were about the size <laughs> of cars, look like, oh, yeah, they look like, uh, um, well, they were like saucer shape, gold color, you know, like orangish color, glowing. And right. they were right over the water, they were kind of doing this. Yeah, the bob and the weave, yeah. Uh-huh. And they were, they were right over the water. I had been scuba diving in St. Martin. And so I was out on deck taking pictures. Everybody else was inside trying to get ready for dinner because I hadn't seen St. Martin because I was underwater. And so uh -huh. then 20 minutes later, I see, you know, here, here, you know, I was in the right place, wrong time. <laughs> I <was laughs> underwater. Wow. You know, I left the underwater, probably underwater from maybe 9.30 in the morning till about 3.30 because we got back at the ship about 4.30. And then at 20 after 6 p.m., I see UFOs out over the water. Got a great picture. But, yeah, you, you know, when you're out there enough, you're, it, it's going to happen. You're going to see something. All right. So you joined MUFON. Was that something you've been planning to do for a while, or how did that come about? Uh, no, not really. I had heard about the meetings, and in the late 1980, uh, 1990s, I was going to the meetings. My daughter was an athlete, so I spent most of my time from the time she was three until she retired, um, taking her to practices and going to competitions, and not, you know, not soccer, but literally like a soccer mom type. So I didn't have time for that, and then my son and I would collect baseball cards. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of time to myself. So when I did, I started going to MUFON meetings and I went to a, a there was a conference, a symposium here in the St. Louis area in 2000. And I went and immediately joined. And the conference had um, Bud Hopkins, uh, Staten Friedman, wow. uh, Bruce Maccabee. All the heavyweights. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, all the heavyweights. I mean, it was incredible. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I was an adamant Star Trek fan. I I have met, have, you know, in the you know, every one of these Star Trek characters. Yes, live you know. long and prosper. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know? and, <laughs> and I so every conference. And, and when I went to that one, I thought, what am I doing? You know, this is the real deal. I've always been curious about the real deal. And what am I doing um, traveling all over, you know, at the Star Trek groupie when I can be going to UFO conferences and finding out the truth. And so when I joined, I was asked, uh, why are you joining MUFON? And I said, because I want to know the truth. 
I'm almost sorry I asked. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's, uh, Preston, you know that you get, I mean, you know, Dolly, you have your own experiences, but Preston, you're, you know, you're a detailed, adamant investigator and you know that, that there's so much out there. We haven't even scratched the surface. No, we haven't. And nope. it, it, there's so much now with the government coming out with the, you know, releasing these these videos, the Navy videos and the hearings. And even with that, it, it it's still a big cover up. We have a long way to go, but at least they're admitting there might be something there. <laughs> so you join MUFON and you're going to the things and what what about becoming like a field investigator? I, I did it in 1988, oh. shortly after joining MUFON. And they said, okay, well, here's a take-home test. You're on your own. There was no real training at all, honestly. No. I thought a take-home test, this should be easy enough. It wasn't. It wasn't easy. Well, it was an open book. <laughs> I did mine in 2000. It was funny because Kathleen Martin, if, if you don't know who Kathleen Martin is, she the Betty and Barney Hill, the abduction from 1962. Right. Uh, that's their niece. And she was the one at the time grading the tests. And, really? <laughs> yeah. They, you know, you, you know, um, I had my MUFON journal mailed to me, which I actually still do. I like my paper copy, but they mail my journal. And in the back of it, it had a sheet that you could tear out and fill out and mail it in. And they and, and order a field investigator manual. And then in the field investigator manor, manual, the back pages were the test. And then you tear those out and there's a hundred questions and you have to mark the right one. And then you mail that back in. <laughs> so it, now we have MUFON University. It, it's, uh, it, it's great. You go online, you can even buy the field investigator manual online. I have it on my iPad. I still use it. And um, you take all the take takes take all the courses. They had just some really great great courses. We all of us were just required. They just redid the MUFON uh, MUFON University. We were required to retake all of them, state director, so we would know what our investigators are being trained now. And I think um, I did about ten hours of class classroom, oh and this God. is just been about a month ago. Oh, so. Wow. It, it, you know, refresher. Uh, school teachers do refreshers all the time. Right. Continuing education. Right. Exactly. Firefighters, police officers, teachers, everybody. So everybody. Yeah. It, it's different, Preston. <laughs> you, you go to classroom online now. It's, it's, yeah. it's really well, when I started, there was no internet at all. <laughs> oh, right, right. I had yeah. to go to the library and like, okay, let's learn about photography, I guess. And, Astronomy, oh, yeah. I was already pretty strong on, and meteorology, I was taking in college, so I had a boost there. But yeah, yeah. It wasn't super. Yeah. The UFO section, that was a breeze. I had already gotten every <laughs> book, so <laughs> yeah, Commodore sixty four. <laughs> you remember the internet? You know, you go, and you'd wait for about ten minutes, and then finally, oh, I'm collected, connected. This is great, and then I mean, it was. It was just, there was so much information. It was just unbelievable because I always had a whole set of encyclopedias looking up things all the time. And all of a sudden it was right there. Right in your fingertips. But, you know, sometimes, right. you know, sometimes you do a load of laundry waiting to get a you know. <laughs> oh, you're breaking up just a little bit. There you are. Yeah. Right. You froze oh. for a second. Oh. Yeah. But you're, 
You're back. All right. So I, I remember investigating my first cases for MUFON and how absolutely thrilling and unbelievable it was. I felt a little bit of the imposter syndrome. So <laughs> I'm going in, but there, you know, there, there's really, I mean, even today, there's not a lot of people doing this. Uh, so. um, the way I think we've got, oh gosh, maybe I could even tell. I think somewhere like, oh, across the world, I, you know, I don't know. I, we've got 15 or 16 investigators here in Missouri. Yeah, so well, there, can... there's there's a lot of investigators now. I several hundred. Um, it, it, I just had I, I just had the um, board of director meeting where he gave us the latest numbers, but unfortunately, somebody had unplugged my internet. Um, yeah, and that's funny. Uh, I <laughs> for AT and T to come out, and the guy came in. He goes, "You're disconnected." And I said, well, where? And he goes, oh, no, about 900 feet down the road on the box. Oh. <laughs> I got disconnected. Someone wow. pulled the plug on me. <laughs> that's wow. <a> suspicious. <laughs> that makes me wonder. That, that's, a, you know, of all the people that you know, they pulled the plug on me. And I've only got my Jeep sitting out in front of my place. You say it was just you or your entire area? No, me. Just me. Oh, that that's just, even worse. Yeah, yeah, that was just, yeah, just me. The plug was pulled on, and and I, he said, "Well, sometimes you know, there's a, maybe a thousand customers on that box, and you know, some have multiple lines, and you know, somebody they'll they'll go to readjust something. He might they might have knocked you loose." And I thought, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Right. Well, my Jeep sits out <laughs> front. I've got a a, a two door uh, a Jeep Wrangler, uh, a, a, a Wooly. Um, my license plate's UFO spy. <laughs> so, I I'm not trying to be incognito. Uh, yeah, somebody pulled the plug on me. Wow. wow. All right. Well, so 900 cases. Can you tell us like what some of the early ones were like, or ones that are more memorable that you investigated? Uh, oh gosh, the the one uh, we're still working on now for one. Uh, St. Clair, Missouri, we started working on that one in um, 2000, November of 2018. Uh, there's There was an episode in, I think, let's see, 2000 and might have been 2019 or 20. I think it was 2019, uh, um, Alien Highway came out and did an investigation there. You know, it was my case, but uh, they wanted some cases of interest. Um, in a nutshell, we've got uh, five sites. Uh, we've been investigating since 2018, over 30 witnesses, uh, all within about a five and a half mile area. We have strange balls of light. We have uh, things in the in the river, uh, the Merrimack River. Uh, I personally saw uh, there were these glows, and a lot of the people that live along the river, they were talking about these glows in the water. Um, I saw the glows, but my camera at the time isn't what I have now. Fortunately, I have a, a better camera. My husband bought me one for Christmas, military grade, but I had a, a, a Sony Handycam with the little cassettes. <laughs> and I had pretty good night vision, but not as good as what I have now. But the glow, there were three glows in the water, and one got smaller and smaller and smaller and came to the surface as a, as a silver metallic spear, flashed and then went back down as a glow. 
and uh, the witness put one of those million watt flashlights on it and eventually the glows moved behind a tree you know we were overlooking the river <clears throat> i talked to conservation and there is nothing in that river they look like alligator heads but there was nothing in that river that's been tagged with anything let alone tagged with something that glows <laughs> we went on to capture lights that um are unexplainable there was one that I captured this ball of light. Well, like it was a saucer shape that came right across the screen. I couldn't see it visually looking up. I saw kind of the glow, but the camera, my newer camera picked it up. It was the first time I'd used it in January of 2019. I got it for Christmas. And it. we picked up uh, my chief investigator, Mel Van Vickle, our Missouri MUFON chief investigator. He did the photo analyst on analyzing, analyzation, I guess, on it. And he found that there was a plane, there was a plane that went by, but this object had no transponder and it cut out the transponder on the aircraft hmm. for several minutes. It was just for like 80, 90 miles, the transponder was just gone and then back up. We went to, that was site one, site two, I picked, we picked up a uh, lights that came across highway 44 um and then we were we were staged um on, a, on another highway not too far from there but interstate 44 the lights the bright light white light several of them came behind the trees and this is in january and then came through the trees and they come up and then pretty soon another light would come up and another light would come up and i'm following these things they're just a bright light and turn the camera over and when um, it, the object got to about maybe thousand feet. It turned on the FAA lights, green on the left, red on the on the right. Well, that's opposite. It's it was either flying upside down or backward. And <laughs> by the same thing was picked up in Farmington at the airport in 1973, May of 1973, by Harley Rutledge, and just not too far away, about an hour and a half away from me. Let's see, farming now, Farmington airports. Have, like 50 minutes away from me. So Farmington, Missouri. You Farmington, say Farmington, Missouri. I automatically think of New Mexico. No, Farmington, <laughs> Farmington, Missouri in May of 1973. And he picked up the same thing. And it's in his book. Oh, gosh, I can't remember the name of the book. Which it's back there, too. But um, he he picked it up. They got a one picture in black and white. I have it in color on color in color on video. And mm -hmm. so his black and white, they, they mention it in the book, um, but um, that's something else that's odd. You know, whatever this was, that it was small enough to come through the trees where the leaves had fallen off, take air, go off in the distance, and then turn on FAA lights for what? For who? To, to fool us? Put them on the wrong side. <laughs> <laughs> that That's one interesting case. I have it. Uh, I had a child abduction case. I mean, that that was kind of sad. That was in 2007 that I worked on cow mutilations. I've worked on eight cow mutilations in this area. Really? Wow. Um, this is where Linda Moulton Howe started, was in Missouri. And then the cow mutilations here. And uh -huh. then 
here into the center. There are a lot of cows in Missouri. Let's everybody know this, right? <laughs> it's a cow state. And, yes. Um, um, <laughs> well, yeah. we're the cave state, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, a lot cow, of cows. A, cow state. a lot of dairy there. And stuff. You're the ca cave yeah. state? Is that what you said? Yeah, we are. We are the cave, yeah. the cave state. And we, yeah. we, I didn't know that. Our capital or population yeah. of people, we're always at the top, you know, top five or six for sightings in our area. Yeah. And we've been oh. trying to figure out why we're the cave state. We have three major rivers. A lot of what's going on is going on over the rivers. Yeah. We, we've recently had a couple of police officers that the separate sightings that um, over by the Jefferson Barracks Bridge, Mississippi River going into Illinois, had a, a sighting of uh, Tic Tacs. Hmm. And these are police officers. When was this? Oh, let's see. It would have been about uh, the first one would have been maybe six, eight months ago. And then maybe the other one a few months before that. How many military installations do you have surrounding you there? 35 miles from me into Illinois is Scudder Force Base. And mm -hmm. they do the in-air um, um, fuel. They refuel in-air. Right, right. And so we have had that that. Um, Oh gosh, what do they call that? The, the doomsday plane has been yeah. all over the top of us, and everybody's saying, "Why?" Oh, yeah, right? Well, they're, <laughs> they're picking it up on things on it. Yeah, yeah. The people yeah. are picking it up on flight radar. You know, yeah. flight radar twenty four. They go, "Why is the doomsday yeah. play over us?" They're refueling. It's got Air Force Base. Right, it's it never lands. Right, it yeah. never and, lands. Yeah. And then in Liberty, about three hours. That so uh, that's uh, let's see, east three hours west of me in Liberty is Whiteman Air Force Base. Right. And that's the 509th from Roswell. How many how many hard cases of sightings have you had in the last two years? In the last two what, years. Two in the last two years. Have your case sightings gone down a bit for actual recently? Um yeah, they've gone they've shot way down in the last month. Yeah. Noticeably down, and that's uh nationwide. Right, we're exactly. Not, we're not exactly sure why. Yeah. Yeah, there, it's been uh, it's been like that now for about a year, though. You've had some real lows that come up a little bit. It'll go drop out again because up in north, the northern part of the United States, Washington and those areas, Oregon, they noticed it over a year ago, two years ago, that they're dropping in cases like crazy. And this just goes to what I've been trying to tell everybody is the fact that what you see now is has nothing to do with ET. It's all military. All of it. You you brought up to me before about a triangular, I mean a rectangular craft. I've told Preston about this two years in a row already. Um, he's known about it for some time, and it's because it is ours, not theirs. Uh, the triangle crafts are ours, not theirs. Um, there's some serious. If you see black mat, flat black mat craft, it's not theirs. It's ours. Mm -hmm. And um, this is complicating the whole field because. Right. You know what I mean? The drones too, right? Exactly. You know those drones that they had. It was at uh, the the China the China Olympics. Yeah. Well, all those drones up there making all the patterns. Uh, we get uh, also. You have to watch the skydivers. Yeah. Because you have uh, the the uh, you know the those flight teams that drop at night with the flares. Oh, yeah. that was an interesting one though. We had a sighting. It was a. Uh, Father, let's see, we just had, it was a Father's Day of um, 2022. So mm -hmm. it's just been a year, Father's Day of 2022. Okay. We, at the airport just down the road, 
the there were skydivers and we we they took pictures the family from the ground has pictures of the skydivers the skydiver the pilot there were two instructors and then two people tethered to them and they all saw this white disc above them they were at i think they said 8000 feet this was at 9000 feet <laughs> and after a while it just like moved off towards St. Louis airport and then came back a couple hours later and if you've seen uh, let's see, that's a, a sky as a skinwalker ranch when they yeah. fire off those rockets. Yeah. And they said there's something up there. There's this white spear up there. Same thing. That's what was above. It was hovering above. And then a couple weeks after this happened, and the reason it was I know it's Father's Day is that these fathers had got skydiving for a gift. And they were over there skydiving, and the kids were like, What's that above dad? And then the pilot's like, What is that, you know, above us? And that was 2022? That yeah. was uh, Father's Day of 2022 because uh, yeah. in um, September of 2023, the, the airport permanently closed. Wow. Was that, let's see, it would have wow. been, yeah, let's see, wait a minute. Was No, wait a minute. That was, guess we're into 24. Yeah, it was. It would spend a year. It's been a year since we had that because the airport, the airport closed only because they sold it off for a factory and they all moved down to Sullivan. Um, but we've had, I mean, there's, but Missouri has a history of sightings. We had a UFO flap in the 70s. Right. We had another UFO flap in uh, 2011, 2012. Just in the month of um, October, let's see, was it? Yes, the month of October, October 3rd, let's see, 3rd and 4th. Margie and Kay, Margie Kay and I were trying. Margie Kay's our. She and I, had, uh, it was over a hundred in those two days sightings. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was just, we, we were narrowing it, down, narrowing it down. There was a flight club that was training to uh, fly over the Kansas City Chiefs. Yay, go Chiefs. <laughs> they, <laughs> go Chiefs. They, they, they're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> they just had a game yesterday. Yeah. Um, but it was over their stadium, and they were going to do some kind of a flyover. We figured out that one. Uh, there was, But there was a traffic accident on Highway 70, and people were just sitting there for you know 30 minutes or so, and a large craft went right over the top of them, hovered for a while, went over the water tower. A lot of people saw it. I mean, it was just incredible, the sightings that we had coming in. Mm. They went on all the way until the end of October. And then there was um, a satellite on Heavens Above. And um, it, yeah, we all, Heavens Above had this one satellite that said unknown. And so at the time, I, I called our uh, director of investigations at the time. And I said, what would you think that would be? And he says, I have some sources. And he said, that what that is, is a Russian spy satellite. And he said they've changed their course. And he said for two weeks it was, you know, monitoring, which, by the way, we had that spy balloon here, too. It was over right over my house for two and a half hours, that Chinese balloon. Oh, we also have like, you know, we that mapping company. Yeah, we, the, the, uh, we have uh, it's a international. We're not an international. It's a, the U.S. mapping. Um, it, it's kind yeah. of gathering information. Yeah. Basic satellite. How high was it? You know, over your house. Uh, this, this, I don't know. It was. Uh, they said it could have been. What did they keep saying that was? It was big. I mean, I, you know, like the you size. Mean like ten thousand feet? Do you think? Five thousand. Probably, probably a little lower. That maybe uh -huh. that or a little bit lower. 
and it stayed hovering for two and a half hours. And this mapping, we call it the mapping company out here, but it, yeah. it's a, a information for government information facility. I guess it was trying to get information off of them. So yeah, there's another government facility that we have here right. in our area. That's that's about five miles north of me. Wow. So we well, we have a lot of activity in in and around the so, if you want to see something come here. Of the 900 or so cases, uh -huh. what what percentage would you say involve humanoids or onboard experiences or missing time, or is it just mostly sightings oh, that you get? Out of the, I don't need an exact number. <laughs> I'm just well, curious. No, no, I'm just, I, it, it depends on 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 the sighting. Um, I've worked that many cases, but then I would say probably in Missouri, we have a higher average, like 11, 11%, you know, 11% are, are unknown. Usually I think the national average is more like five, but we have a lot here. And out of those that are unknown, probably involving beings, maybe 2%, maybe. I mean, yeah, this, is, this is a problem because I think it's a lot more common than most people realize, but when you see a humanoid, people are much, much more reluctant to report it. Not only that, but they may not even remember. And it depends on the sighting. And the only way you find anything like that out is if you have multiple witnesses. You know, somebody could say, I saw this craft and it went over and then this happened and that happened. And, you know, and then you're like, wow, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. And then if you have five or six other people that have the same thing, somebody's going to remember something and then you start interviewing them and then you jog a little bit of memory and they go, well, I didn't want to say anything, but, but you don't tell them anything ahead of time. They'll say, you know, you're not the only one that saw this. So, go, you know, you're not crazy. So go on ahead and tell me what you saw. And uh, we had one where the lady had a craft and it was hovering over her house and um, they didn't go outside and look at it right away because they were watching the finale of a TV show that the series they'd been watching. She and her husband. <laughs> and when they did go out, she's got it on her, her security camera. She comes running out of the house and she looks off in the distance and this light comes down, this green light. Well, we know that was a meteor. But right. when she came out, it was a, like a fireball. And that was reported. But when she before she came out, this big ball of light goes from her house and it goes right across the screen. Then she comes running out and then she sees the fireball. And we thought, well, now, wait a minute. It's like 1130 at night. So a flight radar, this just happened a couple months ago, flight just a little bit south of me. Flight radar um, picked up a plane, but it was in Illinois and it wasn't near around that time. Uh, we know about the fireball. It was only one. What was this other light? And why was it so low and so bright? I mean, it, it was like double the size of what Jupiter looks like in the sky and just went right across. And that was interesting. And, you know, it, you know I mean, what, what do you tell people? So that one, um, we asked if they had missing time. She had not. But I, the, the problem with missing time is if it's missing, you don't know. You don't know it's missing. Right. Sometimes right. it takes time to go to you. You do you want to know why people have missing time for real? Uh, <laughs> think about it. When you go on board a craft, it's electromagnetic radiation that you're going through, and uh, people will tell you that any sort of electromagnetic resonance hitting your brain pan will disrupt your thinking and recolonize your brain a little bit and make you forget things. Um, the easiest example for that is people who have 
MRIs and they're in the tube for a long time will come out and have a memory problem for, you know, a few days. They can't remember what they did the day before. That day, you know, they barely remember being in the tube. And it's because you're being deroused. Your brain is uh, energy and it's, uh, it has its own frequencies and its own way of using electromagnetic energy that you resonate anyway. You create it as well. And when you have that force coming into you like that, it can jumble your memory really bad. That's why that happens. It well, has, you know. I've been doing research on that too because uh, my my book was um, – alien colonization of Earth's waterways. And it started out, it was information that I had for the last 20 years. And we were all told, oh, if you're over 50, you're going to probably die of COVID. And we're, we were, were locked up anyway, you know, yeah. and not necessarily out here. You know, the only one that ever wore masks out here was uh, um, government and medical facilities. Nobody else did. The restaurants, <laughs> nobody. Grocery stores, nobody did. And you know, we didn't have a big problem with it here. However, you know, there were places that, that were closed. People, I, I didn't want to travel as much. You know, we didn't know a lot about it. And so I decided to take this 20 years of information I had gathered up and write a book. And I was about a month into it. Scared me. I mean, I just, I thought, oh, wow, I was going to write a little book, my first book, just get all this together. Um, so my 20 years of life wouldn't have been wasted. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be a book on water-related UFOs. And when I started looking at the research that I had, some of it held on for 20 years, didn't quite remember what was there, I started to realize that there were a lot of reports of things underwater, beings underwater, sounds underwater, a lot going on underwater. And I thought, okay, wait a minute, what's the definition? And I looked up the definition of resident and it's, you know, someplace that, you know, if you've been there for a couple of weeks, you're a resident. I thought, oh, some of these, <laughs> they're not so much visitors. They're, they're colonists. You know, they're like, we were, you know, well, not us, but um, I'm only second generation American, but they're, you know, well, like, you know, the pilgrims that came across and colonized, you know, the, the United States. I mean, you know, they, that Columbus, who also, by the way, had a sighting, you know, of a candlelight for, in 14, it was October of 1492. Yeah, one of the yeah. earliest USO reports ever, right? That we oh, know. Oh, there's also there's one. Um, there's a, a, a tic tac that's in the Bible, and I mean, so I mean that that's also that's, that's in my book, but it's a description of you know what seeth thou? Oh, I see a cubit that's I think it's uh, ten by fifteen, you know, cubits. I see I see a flying roll is what they called it, ten by fifteen cubits. I mean, it's in the Bible, Zechariah. Right. So. Uh, it, I started thinking this is way more serious than just, you know, the, these little bitty sightings. So once I got all that gathered and I did the, the kind of the theories behind it, because before you can try and, and um, I guess, uh, let's see, how would you, you, you know, hi, before you can try and can, you know, convince yourself or anybody else that there's something going on, you have to, as an investigator, you have to rule everything else out. Right. And so I can say, okay, well, there's all this going on above the water. However, you know, why? What, you know, why are things going in the water? Why haven't we seen this stuff? So in the book, there's a whole chapter of, of our deep trenches. Our trench trenches are these gaps between tectonic plates. They average about two miles deep. They can go as, you know, the Mariana, Mariana Trench in the South Pacific is seven miles deep. We can't go down that deep. Yeah, you know, so 
that's part of it. So there's a little bit about trenches. I thought, okay, well, they, they see all this activity coming in out of the water. Where are our submarine bases? So then you got to find out, okay, we got the submarine bases. This could be some of our stuff. You know, so you have to rule everything out. out. And then so the book ended up being um, a reference book because you can, you can actually, you know, you can see, okay, this is what we have and this is what I've ruled out. So now what do we got? So it was basically a, a investigation, you know, to say this, this is, you can look at all of this and come to your own conclusion. Well, now I'm starting to look past that. And I thought with everything that's gone on, everything is, everything the Navy releases over the water, over the water, we have this other thing now, the jellyfish. And um, that's, that's BS. Perfectly well, BS. Well, no, no proof, none. You can't, I challenge anybody. Anybody, the originator of the whole thing, come forward, bring your film, your film, the actual film you used. They won't oh, do it. Bell? It's BS. That he's got, yes. he's, he has showed the video. He he's showed shown a video. He has not turned it over for examination at all. It is not real at all. I can oh. tell you that with sincere proof. In my, I don't my think that's ET related. It's not, it might, not I mean, at all. It might be something. No, it's something. Know. Yeah, yeah something from here, it is not ET. That's the point I'm trying to make. This is not ET in any way. Well, but the other, the the Tic Tacs of Fravor, you know, he saw, he said there were multiple ones overhead. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, then uh, the, it shot off from where he was to, I think it was 60 miles away and stopped. That was a point that they were going to travel later as part of their training exercise. I mean, they, you know, there's, so I'm looking at all of this and I'm thinking everything that's being released is over the water. I thought, what's going on underwater? So that's what I'm researching right now. And I've, I've talked about, um, it's in the book, but I've talked about it in presentations that uh, back in, I think it was 82, that they, there were some Navy divers that came across mm -hmm. some 10 foot tall aliens in um, Lake Bacal. They were no, they were underwater at 165 feet. Yeah. I have a serious question to ask you. I want to know if MUFON considers uh, in their um, investigation to understand um, that if you've got a, a race of beings coming here and they're interested in us and they watch over us and they have a lot to do with us without involving themselves with us, what would be their purpose? What is what is the main reason for them to do what they do? And if they're that intelligent, they're that advanced, science is the number one thing that you have to write down in your book. You have to consider what is the science of why they're here, okay? People, political people talk about motives, okay? And uh, I'm sorry, if you're a scientific being and you're that advanced, science is your number one right in. What is it they're studying? Uh, it's not just us. They're studying our solar system. They're studying our planet. They're studying all the other planets in our solar system. They're watching how our planet is um, in action right now with the sun. There's a lot going on. Mainstream scientists won't admit to this because the government owns them, but there are private scientists who don't rely on the government to fund them who will tell you the truth. And there's plenty of proof out there. And I, I want to know if MUFON ever works their way out into that knowledge and considers it before they start making uh, decisions about. Well, what MUFON is filled with scientists. Oh, right. And, and it's uh, our uh, motto is the scientific study of, of basically, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but we investigate the, for yeah. the scientific study to better mankind. We, we, go, we look at every single case we investigate, investigate it like a police detective would 
And okay. we have several police detectives that are retired that are, right. you know, it would, I have several here in Missouri. We just had another one that just joined MUFA that was a then, then do you have scientists well, who consider the tectonics of this planet. Right. And the fact that if they were in the deep trenches, they're watching it and they're studying it and they're writing or keeping records of, of its movement in relationship to how the planet's turning, what the sun is doing. I mean, if you want to know why they would be that deep in the water in those trenches and other places, it's purely scientific mostly for them. They're watching things that are going on. And if you know, if you have scientists in your organization, how many of them are aware of what is happening to us right now in our solar system with our sun, what's coming up for us? Yeah, well, there are people who specialize in astronomy, oh, people who specialize absolutely. in you know, yeah. geology and ground. You, know, you can go on YouTube and okay. yeah, you can go on YouTube and spend all you know all day just listening to videos of people that are talking about what's happening with the sun and what's going on. Are they talking mainstream? Um, are they talking mainstream science like global warming, or are they talking about the? See, you're what you're what you're you're. I'm uh, sorry, you're kind of making the same mistake that a lot of people make. You're going they. Who is they? There is no they. There's somebody that's studying global um, warming. There's the another word. group that's studying something. There's so many. Aliens the same way. You yeah. can't categorize them all as one. I'm not talking species. about aliens. I'm talking about MUFON. Oh, no, but you were before. You said they're underwater and they're studying this. Right. But they, that may be one race. There are multiple races and everybody's got a different agenda. It's just, you know, you could look at the three of us and, and when we, you know, we get up in the morning, we've got three, you know, three separate things that we're all, you know, our day is planned out and it's not the same. So let's just say, I mean, there are multiple races that um, it depends on who you talk to. Okay, let me ask you a question. I'm trying to make, I, I want MUFON to hear what I'm saying right now. And you're one of the directors. So I want you to hear what I'm saying. Uh, they, many people, you, me, we're not separate. We're one, one. ETs don't believe that they are separate in any way. They don't believe in race either. We believe in race. That's anthropomorphizing ETs. You got to stop thinking that way. These are beings from all over this universe who consider themselves one and they work together in communion with one another, in consensus with one another, and they all know what everybody else is doing and they agree on what they're doing. We're a small planet in a system, in a galaxy, in a universe, and they, there are not races, different races coming here to study us. They all know who we are. They all know what's going on here. They are in consensus together to guide, hopefully guide us, which we're not accepting help from. Our governments are responsible for that. This is all geopolitical stuff. And I, I wonder if you all consider that ever, if it hits you all in the brain pan, that it's not a race. There is no race. We are not different races. We're human. We're homo sapiens sapien. We're all human. We're all the same race. We look different, but we are the same race. If you have DNA, you're related to them. All life is related to each other, all of it. And okay, I'm, so I'm let's, let's just say with, you've got, yes. let's say you've got fifty aliens that right. are on this planet in various places, right? Right now, okay. Let's just say fifty, and okay. So let's just say that they all think alike, and they're all doing, and they're all they all have one agenda. Well, they're not going to get anything done if every one of them is all doing the same thing. They can't all be doing the same thing. You got one in Africa, you got one in the Antarctic, you got one in Canada, you got one over here in Missouri. The environment is different. The people, 
the language is different. The culture is different. We may be all one race, but we are just a little bit different. And so yeah. their agenda has to be a little bit different. There's no doubt they have multiple they agendas. Have to adapt. Yeah. Wait, wait. So, that's, so you can't just say they're here <laughs> for this. We have to take a quick station ID. Right. So hold on a second while we just take okay. a quick station ID. Okay. I want to let you all know that you are watching The Light Gate. I am your host, Preston Dennett. My co-host is Dolly Safran. Our guest tonight is Debbie Ziegelmeyer. She's written a couple of really interesting books, The Alien Colonization of Earth's Waterways, which you can see right here. Also, the 50th anniversary of the Southeast Missouri Ozarks UFO flap, co-written with Margie Kay. I'd really love to get into that shortly. But I just want to let you know that you... We are streaming live on United Public Radio Network at 107.7 FM from the beautiful city of New Orleans in Louisiana. Also, the UFO Paranormal Radio Network at 105.3 FM. We're also streaming on YouTube. We are on Roku, so check that out. Facebook and other platforms. We still have another hour to go. I'm putting little stars next to your questions, so I will absolutely get to them and keep them coming because we love interacting with all you guys in chat. And now we are ready to go back to what we were just talking about. <laughs> I, do, I, I do want to get into this book at some point. Okay, I'll, I only have one more thing to say and then I'm going to be quiet. This one. <laughs> ETs are highly advanced beings. They are billions of years in advance of us, billions. Uh, they are completely psychic. They can hear across the universe to one another. They are capable of understanding things that we don't even understand, yet we have no conception of, we have no knowledge of. They are not here to get into what we do. They do not concern themselves with how we run this place or how we interact with one another. What they are watching for is to see signs that we are evolving emotionally, spiritually, things like that, okay? They want to see us stop bickering and stop antagonizing one another. They want to see us act as one unit together, working together to evolve. And evolving for wisdom is way different than anything that we're accomplishing right now, totally different. And if you sit and hard think about that, you'll realize that they have never directly interfered with us in this iteration, this 12,000 years at all. They just watch. And sometimes they help because we need help right now. Trust me, with what's going on and what's coming at us, we need help. They're not going to directly intervene because they absolutely believe that we are the authors of all our own problems, all of them. And until we start talking together as one unit and speaking together, not as separate, not as different, not culture, none of that, because that's what separates you from wisdom. It separates you from evolving. And that's what they know. And that's why they watch us. We're not here as a punishment. We are here because we are their children. We're their, they are our progenitors. We are related to every last one of them and they, as they are us. And their direct message to this planet, direct, is we are you. You are us. We are all one. And they want us to stop being children and grow up. And we have to stop looking at this situation from our point of view. We need to start seeing them from their point of view. And this is a direct, number one, what I believe and they believe they've taught me criteria for us to understand them. And if you anthropomorphize them, 
you're dead, you're done. You will never, ever understand them, never. And that's why I was hoping MUFON would start adopting some of these understanding systems to see what's going on. Because we're running around ragtagging each other, saying this sighting, that sighting, that sighting, this sighting. And we're not adding anything up. We're not putting two and two together. And we're not seeing what's really going on around us. Because we are rabbits in a cage or rats in a cage with another form of government all around us pushing us to go in their direction, not ours. Yeah, that's part of the problem with this field is the government cover-up. It's ruthless and the disinformation. So are you a MUFON investigator? Me? No. no. Then how can you judge us? How do you know what we do? You have no idea what you do. You're 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 telling. I'm asking questions. I'm not judging. I'm asking questions. I but you, you just know. you just said that. Well, we you know that we're just running around gathering information. I'm giving you information directly from me, Tig. I am a messenger. Mm -hmm. I am a mouthpiece for them. Okay. That's why so, I'm talking. Well, what it's, we do is is we do gather and we investigate and we try and understand and we we've taken it. We have one whole group that's the um the ERT group and they. They deal with people who have been with abductees. We've tried to specialize at least in different areas. And we are trying to understand. We are trying to find out what's going on. We're trying to um, gather together. That's why we have Project Aquarius. Project Aquarius is um, uh, NICAP and KUFOS, uh, the yeah. Peter Davenport site on you know, at several We've taken all of our cases over the years and we're putting it in on it's on basically now on one database in MUFON under the agreement of everybody. So people can learn, people can read the cases, people can learn what's going on, people can investigate, people can widen their their knowledge and open their minds more. And there's a lot of information out there, but if everybody is gathering information, they're you have to investigate a case, otherwise, you know, what's the point? Someone says, I saw something like, okay, yeah. Right, we well, you have to so vet it. Really right. Investigate it, and those investigations yeah. are there for everybody to see now to and and open their minds and learn um, to, to, what, to whatever level they want to go to, to what knowledge they want and what specialty, because there are a lot of different things going on. I mean, there's, there are, you know, there's, there's crop circles and and there's abductions and there's water sightings and there, I mean, there's, there's just so many different things and it is all related, but unfortunately our minds can't handle all of that. And so we try and, and we don't have consensus of understanding it. As right. Well as we, we try and we specialize in one certain thing. I specialize in water, in water. I have a, my group, well, our group, um, the Midwest, a lot of the state directors from MUFON state directors in the Midwest we get together every Thursday night, just ourselves, and we discuss things and the different specialties, and we try and open each other's minds to what's going on. And do you all have it? No. Do you all ever try to, you know, because all your your I don't call them abductees, I call them contactees. All your contactees are sending messages to you all as well. I know this, and um, the top of the heap has got to be that they want you to use your abilities. You know, they want you to clean up the planet, clean up your body so that you can use your abilities to make contact with them, personal contact. Have you all thought about uh, having uh, resourcing with each other and trying to build a group that actually works on contact that way? You practice using your abilities, get together in groups and make um, contact. And Margie Kay does. Margie Kay has an ex experience experiencer group. She does remote viewing 
Um, she does that type of thing. It's not my specialty is water. And ah. I don't try and overlap into something that someone else has been trained in since they were a child. And Margie Kay ah. is very well trained in that. Mm -hmm. I'm not part of the ERT group because I'm the director of, of underwater research and recovery. So we have different directors that have specialties in different types of types of things. I am, I do know about cow mutilations, but I'm not an expert in that, even though I have investigated eight of them. And so I, I know, you know, what's a cow mutilation and what somebody has tried to fake as one, or, you know, what is something that's out of the ordinary. So I guess to answer your question, yes, there are people that are doing that. No, I'm not involved in that. I'm the director of underwater research and recovery. And well, that's they, one of the MUFON strengths is that we have so many people who are doing different areas of research. And, and they're specializing in that. And then we take all of it and the information is there. But it what was my, my dad used to say, um, jack of all trades, master of none. Right. And yeah. I think so what we're trying to do is that we're all trying to specialize and then we can take, if I can specialize in water and try and get as much, gather as much information as I can. And then you have someone that specializes and knows how to deal and interact and understands because maybe they are an abductee that that's where they need to be. And then at one, we get together at the MUFON symposiums and a lot of us, and sometimes we just, like I said, we meet on Thursdays and we all share the information that we know and we help to enlighten each other. What, what is MUFON's actual, uh, uh, what's the word, belief statement about this whole situation? Do they, do they feel like uh, they have the ability to state unequivocally that there are uh, intelligences that are coming here, that there are ETs, that this is a real phenomenon. Do they, do they, is that in their mission statement? I guess is what you would call it. it uh, we, we study the, uh, let's see, uh, the scientific study of, um, I don't know, I think the scientific study of UFOs for the betterment of mankind, I think is the original statement, but Yes, we're out there trying to investigate, trying to, you have some poor person that says, I saw this thing and I was taken and, you know, where do I go? Who do I turn to? Well, you can turn to MUFON and we will help you the best we can. We will, re we will refer you to one of the experiencer groups so they can help you through your experience and help you understand and help you realize you're not the only one. Or I saw this craft, you know, am I crazy, but there's something going on over at my house and we investigate it. We get other, we, we, investigate the whole thing the best we can. We share the information. We're trying to get the information out there and try and en enlighten people. And we're a place that you can go to if you have some kind of a sighting or some kind of an experience rather than just say, ah, you're crazy. There's nothing going on. We're trying to get the word out there that this is something that's been hid by our governments. For Okay. So you're, you're stating that they're real. In other words. Oh, absolutely. Or otherwise, we, we, we were formed. Actually, MUFON was founded here in Missouri, um, April of 1969. Whole right. lot of us have wasted a whole lot of time of our lives. I've been in this over 20 years. Right. I wouldn't have been in this 20 years if I didn't absolutely believe there is something going on way more than we know and way more than we can understand. See, I would like to hear somebody make this statement. You don't need the government to tell you. MUFON is one of those organizations that have been around forever and they have disclosure. They know the truth. And yeah, instead of everybody relying on the government to, to tell them this is real, there's plenty real out there. MUFON is one of those organizations that can supply that information. It's kind of the MUFON yeah. Symposium, and I think it's a, it's, let's see, what is the date on that? I wrote it down somewhere. Uh, 
the 11th through 14th. I'm a speaker there. I'll be talking <laughs> about water, but you go to go to a MUFON, some, the, the MUFON conference in, in Dallas. Go to all these different, look up your UFO area, UFO conferences and go there. Go to your MUFON meetings. Go to your, um, the, it doesn't even have to be a MUFON meeting. Go to your area uh, um, um, paranormal phenomenon meeting and be like, buy books. Go on YouTube. Enlighten yourself. Look, don't just sit and and watch a sitcom on TV. That is yeah. doing nothing Thank for you. you. Get out there, gather the knowledge, and find that's out what's going true. on. That's right. And yeah. and that's what we're trying to do with our organization. And I spent a whole lot of time doing this. And I don't get. We're all volunteers, so we have to believe <laughs> in this pretty thoroughly because we're volunteers. We don't get paid. Right. That's right. I spent a whole lot of time and definitely swimming upstream because you know the government. <laughs> As good as they are, there is a cover-up. I think it's demonstrable. I don't oh, think unbelievable. <laughs> so this is a huge problem with making research progress in any real way. And so MUFON is basically fighting upstream to get this, the word out on all of this. Exactly. And it's working. It's absolutely working now because most people, certainly in the U.S., but I think the world, do know what UFOs are, do think they're real. And now our governments are basically being forced to admit to the truth and the validity of the UFO presence. So I think we've made huge progress. The laugh factor is gone. People understand exactly. this is real. This, I mean, look at the books back here. I have read all of these books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you, Debbie. Right there with you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you want to know about... about um, um, yeah, I want to... Cape Girardeau. You know, those, there's a fun... The, um, October 3rd of 1973, Eddie Doyle Webb. That's something you'd like to you, you'd enjoy. Eddie right. Doyle Webb, and this is um, 90 miles south of me, was driving um, an 18-wheeler, 6.30 in the morning, going home. He had his wife, Velma May, with him. They just dropped off a load, taking a trailer back to Cape Girardeau. And um, he was wearing glasses at the time. Velma May was sleeping. He saw something what looked like a top. And it was just the sun's coming up and it's in his rearview mirror. And he thought, well, what is that? He sticks his head out the window to try and see what this is. And bright flash of light flashes him. And it melts his glasses to his face. Oh, he gets God. this rig pulled over eight miles north of Cape Girardeau was where his destination was. Velma May, he screams for her. She takes over the rig, drives it into Cape. Um, they get him to the hospital. He's got radiation burns. He's blinded, but his vision's slowly coming back. Well, at the end of all this, he had radiation burns. He lost 15% of his peripheral vision. Mm. And the point of the whole story is that... Um, the and one of the investigator the investigator at the time one of them was John Schuschler who you know has been with MUFON forever and was an international director for a while. I, gosh, I, I don't remember the name of the investigator, the section director down there, but he was a volunteer, also an attorney. And he said, "Well, Eddie," he said, "you were working at the time." He had he told Eddie file for workman's comp, and to this day, as far as we know, Eddie Doyle Webb is the only one who has ever won a workman comp case for an injury from a UFO while he was on the job. Wow. I know of another case, Harry Sturdevante. Did he go, did he get workman comp? Yeah, Harry Sturdevante, a night watchman, got workman's nice. comp. Another one. Then maybe Eddie, what year was that? Oh gosh, I'd have to look it up, but it's stuck in my brain. I, know, I remember the guy's oh, name, cool. Harry 
Certavante. It was 70s, I'm guessing. I know he was a night watchman. I think he, I don't know what happened. Maybe not quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure. (laughs) They tried to say that, 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 um, I was talking to Dave Marler about it. He goes, oh, no, Eddie lost that case. I said, oh, no, he didn't. I said, I've got the transcript. Um, That's something else, too, that our files, when we originally started investigating, it was all by paper, and, and Preston knows that. Well, these files were in file boxes in people's garages, and as the international director would change, the boxes would move. Well, finally, back, oh, gosh, the I think in 2008 or nine, they started scanning all these old files. Somebody started, one of the inter- international directors started scanning them, and because in 2005, I believe, we had the CMS with the files around there. But um, the the point, let's see, what's my point on this? Um, Oh, the point is that when we started scanning the files, we had to rename them because they were just gibberish. And so I had to open up all these files. took me 16 months, but I have some of them read in detail, some of them just kind of a quick review, over 9,000. They were called the Pandora files. And I, I read <laughs> nine that took me 16 months. I would go through, read it through and say, okay, is this a CE one, two or three is an FB, a flyby or an MA, a maneuver. Um, was anybody abducted? Does this have to do with water, radiation, military involved. And I had to rename them. So I have seen MUFON's 9,000 oldest files. Plus you can go on the MUFON website and there's a whole bunch more there. So I have seen, heard, just about you would think seen and heard just about everything but i'm gonna tell you what i've been on cases and i'll go well that's a first you know i (laughs) i haven't seen that i haven't heard that i i'm still being surprised but yeah yeah i just recently heard of two onboard encounters where people were taken on board and normally a person can stand up inside a ufo but this guy no, Alfred Bertu is one, and the other guy, gosh, Toribio, I think was his last name. They, the UFO had a room that was about four feet tall. Oh, goodness. <laughs> one guy could only walk around on his knees. The other was five feet tall, but the guy was taller than five feet. So he's stooping around. Little, I'd never heard that before. Uh, I had I got two in a row. World. Well, I, I had I did the first star team, MUFON star team case back in the day when James Carrion was international director. And I I went to Scammon, Kansas. And while I was waiting to interview the witness and her son, she worked at a nursing home. There was an uh, the elderly woman in there. And she said, you know, I need to tell you about what I'd seen. Well, she told me all about the Joplin spook light. But she said when she was about five years old, she was sitting on the steps and this UFO came and she said it was about this big. And she said she could see people in it. And it was this little flying saucer that fly, flew around and she could see people in there. And I said, your kid, she goes, I'll never forget that. And I thought about it. And, you know, we, we try and relate everything to us, you know, that, that everybody's got to be our size. No, there's absolutely could be a flying saucer this big. Why not? I wrote an article about that because there's a smattering of cases I wouldn't, you know, the first time I read it, I'm like, nah, I don't think so. But after you hear well, more not? and more cases, <laughs> you can't, I don't, I don't, you just never know. You can't judge. Out of the billions, 
out of the billions of stars out there, you know, and the planets and the exoplanets that that uh, Mark D'Antonio is hunting down for us, um, of course there could be something that small. Uh, because I've been investigating yeah. ten foot tall aliens that are swimming right. around underwater. The universe is a big place, and if you try to count how much life is really there, you'd freak out. You know. Right. And they they yeah. well, at some point, I do want to get to the questions that are oh. stacking up because I'm putting oh, little yes. stars next to them. But um, can you tell us anything more about this southeast Missouri Ozarks flap? When was that? It started uh, in uh, 1973. And one of the biggest sightings was, I believe, was February 25th of 1973 was Reggie Bone, who was uh, the bas basketball player in uh, Piedmont, Missouri. He was a basketball coach, Piedmont, Missouri. Had uh, They went down to Essex, went to a basketball game. They were coming back, he and, and um, five students, and they saw a craft hovering over a field. That field, that um, there was a couple buses behind um, Coach Bone. And so as he and the boys left, apparently uh, one of my, um, I have an RV and boat storage, here um, and one of my customers said that he was an eighth grader in one of those buses, and that twelve boys got out and they were underneath the craft. Uh, Edith Boat Boatwright in um, Mill Springs saw a craft at ten o'clock at night. They had seen this at eight thirty in the evening, but that's what started the UFO flap. Over two hundred people filed reports that evening of seeing this strange craft, and from wow. there it went to where there was so much going on. And in the area, in Piedmont area at the time, that Harley Rutledge, who was a professor at Southeast Missouri State in uh, Cape Girardeau, was given grant money for two weeks with his team to go down. And he picked a couple other professors and some stu couples, three students. And they found that the very first day they taped videotape lights that, um, and they took equipment, I mean, they got cameras and telescopes and everything you could think of that the very first night they set up, they taped something unexplained. His grant went all the way to 1980. It was extended. Mm -hmm. So much went on. They called that the UFO flap. It was the 50th anniversary uh, last year. I guess it would have been because it all went on all through nine, uh, 1973 into 1978, the majority. But that was the 50th anniversary. And they had a great big parade and a festival. Mm -hmm. And this year, I believe it's the, what is that? The I wrote it down here. It is um, August 5th through 8th. I mean, April, I'm sorry, April 5th through 8th. I think the 5th and the 6th and the 7th, uh, they're going to have another great big festival in Piedmont, Missouri, because the total eclipse of the sun is going to be right, right over Piedmont, Missouri. Nice. And so they're going to have an eclipse festival. They're going to have another UFO festival. It was great as we left um, they had a parade in April 20th and let's see the festival this uh, in 2023 was April 21st and 22nd. And on the Friday night, they had a light parade at eight o'clock at night. Then we all went to the drive-in movie theater where they had had sightings wow. um, back in the seventies. Somebody wait, wait, yelled, wait. Oh, somebody would. I wrote yell, a book about that. Debbie. I <laughs> know. I have it right back there. Somebody would yell, turn off the projector. They're back, and they would turn off the projector and watch the UFOs over the drive-in movie theater. So we all went over there and watched first uh, Close Encounters, and then Paul was on next. <laughs> um, they had police officers driving around with inflated aliens in the back seat of their cars with handcuffs. I mean, everything was decorated, but. 
It's a great time. They've got a park that they're going to have their UFO park, Mrs. Piedmont, Missouri, and the big festival. And um, they got the town got so excited about it that it went through Missouri legislation. And in um, August of 2023, uh, Piedmont, Missouri was officially named the UFO capital of the state of Missouri. Wow. Nice. So that, that book has all the original copies of the original newspaper articles like Eddie Doyle Webb and everything else that went on. Um, they had a jail and Heineck was down there. Uh, it, I mean, it's just, there's so much went on that we, that's why the book is tall. So you can actually read the newspaper articles that a lot of them I received courtesy of, thank you very much, Dave Marler gave me uh, copies of them and he said, Debbie, you, you still live there someday. You have to write a book. And I thought, well, the best time Margie and I, uh, I wrote the first half and she wrote the second half and her sightings are more in the fifties. And then um, also more current sightings that happened, but this is all Southern Missouri. This is all my, my stomping ground out here. <laughs> well, it's an appropriate place for a UFO flap. Missouri, yeah. of course, the show me state. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking that it, that's impressive. It's the open-minded state, not the show me state. That's it incredible. Is. We but, are the show me state, the cave state. Uh, we're still trying. We we have the New Madrid Fault, which is probably yeah. going to have a problem long before the San Andreas. Right. Uh, did, you, did you find any relation to UFO sightings over cave systems? Yes. That's what we're investigating right now. And then actually that started, the idea started with Ted Phillips. Ted Phillips was the caver and he had Marley Woods. He was looking for caves and he had me and Tom Ferrario down in these caves looking around. And I said, well, what if we find a bear? And Ted says, well, you know, the old saying, he said, you know, you don't, you run. He said, you don't have to do the <laughs> Don't be the last. Right. Yeah. So, don't run from a bear. No, no, running no. from a bear. If you're sure you can get away. I've got books well, on bears. Like, well, like Ted said, he said, you just don't have to be the last person. <laughs> and you don't have to be the first. Uh, but oh. there is still so much going on in the state of Missouri. Uh, it just, uh, we keep our investigators busy. And we we have areas where they are very, there's an area in um, Kansas City, there's a UFO there that just hovers over. The news media has been out there several times. They've nicknamed it Bob. Then, of course, we've got the Marley Woods area, and there's so much going on there. That's um, it's, it's like a Skinwalker famous. Ranch down there. And, and we're not sure if it. Well, I'm thinking it has to a lot to do with the caves. It has to do with the lead. And the latest case that we're working on now is um, we know why there's balls of light. We know why there's activity. We know why there's UFO activity going on. Uh, back in uh, the 1940s, the Manhattan Project, when they stopped the Manhattan Project, they took all that nuclear waste and they took it to St. Louis to the airport and they buried it out in the outskirts and it's starting to leak. And there's a Coldwater Creek, I be believe that they said just now that they're gonna start to try and clean it up since the 1940s. Right. And we have been out there and there's just all that there's UFO activity. Well, there's UFO activity around nuclear plants. Well, now we know why in that area that, that wow. the place finally someone has come out and admitted there's a problem. And they said they think they're going to get it cleaned up by nine, I mean, by 2038. Oh, 2038. Right. That's a while. But they finally put up signs. So the kids quit swimming in the creek. Oh my gosh! No, 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 no blocking it off at all. 
They've got it blocked off now, but it's a creek. You know, the water runs. I mean, you go like, they you can't block off a whole entire waterway and that water that that whole area now it's just worth so no throwing charcoal in or anything like that huh well there's and what's yeah kind of um there was a um a fire of you know some of it let's see what was it an under it was underground underground fire not too far from the airport and it's only i just read an article a couple days ago and it's only about 1200 feet away underground burning and it's been burning since 2010 and it's only a couple hundred uh, 1200 feet away wow. from this nuclear waste that they have this big mound it's all up in o'fallon and yeah, i think oh. pennsylvania has a fire that's been going for yes decades 50 years <laughs> easily yeah an underground fire yeah that's insane i saw that on the news i can't believe it these you know you know, if you're gonna have an underground fire, I'd just assume be in Hawaii. You know, at least it's a <laughs> volcano. <laughs> you know, Telling but that's crazy. that's that's awful what we have done to our Mother Earth. Yeah. Well, most of it is water. So, what else can you tell us about this book, The Alien oh. Colonization of Earth's Waterways? And then we'll get oh. into some questions. You you want to take some questions? I can take questions. Um, oh, it's available. Both books are available on Amazon. Okay. And last I looked, this one was on sale for about half price, <laughs> cheaper wow. than I could buy it for. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Well, let's get into some questions because people have been very patient. There's not a whole lot of questions, but this is the first one we got that I've put a star next to. And this is from Octopus with No Friends. And he says, Preston, I have a question that's incredibly related to this guest. And I've been meaning to ask you if you could tell us <laughs> how one becomes a MUFON investigator, please. Oh, okay. I had two people just do that this week. Okay. What you do is go on MUFON.com and um, at the top, you can scroll up at the top and it'll say join. And then there's another section that'll say become an investigator and explain it there. But the gist of it is you're told to buy a field investigator manual and then contact the state director, which would be in my state, it would be me. And then the state director will advise you what steps to take next. But you buy, you make sure you have to join MUFON by field investigator manual. Then you'll take classes on um, MUFON university well first you take the test and take the classes and they do we we do run a background check and the background check is for your safety and for the witnesses the reason for the background check is you want to make sure that if we never go alone we go everywhere in pairs and you want to make sure that the person that you're being paired up with um has had a background check run on them and it's for your safety and for the safety of the witness as well we want to make sure we know who's out there so that's that's kind of it. And if if all that's really confusing, you can go on MUFON.com, look up chapter, um, get the contact information for your state, and contact that state director, and they'll tell you the same thing I just told you. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. It's super interesting, and it's also very important. This field is crying for more research and investigation. So yeah, take a chance. It's fun, and it's yeah. super interesting. Yeah. Oh, I've had a great time. <laughs> 23 yeah, if can, years. <laughs> and if you can provide any specialization in terms of your field of knowledge, that's always helpful because there are people who are, you know, do geology and they study that aspect or 
perhaps how UFOs might operate or whatever field of science you can bring to it is always a plus. But Absolutely. even if you're just a general investigator, still go for it. Yeah. And you're not just sent out your own, you're, all, you're sent, you know, you're trained and there's field investigator one, two, and level one, level two, level three. And then from there you go to star team investigator. And then eventually you become a leader, which is a section director or a chief investigator or assistant state director or state director. Um, so uh, I just started out going to a, a, the, a conference and I went, this sounds cool. <laughs> and, and here I am. I'm on the board of directors. Very so, uh, All right. So here is another question, which relates to what you were talking about much earlier in the show, Debbie. And this is from Lunar Dove. Uh, you were talking about having taken a bunch of videos. And she's asking, are your videos posted anywhere where people can view them? No, uh, that uh, the videos were... Uh, shown at the MUFON Symposium last year is one of the top 10 cases. Uh, but at this point, no, because it's still, and that's why I didn't tell the exact location, it's still an investigation, an ongoing investigation. And the last thing we want is uh, like Roswell, you know, where the people are there. They, yeah, they announced where it was and the, the, the local the, the PR person wanted to run a uh, a biking trail across the debris field. Right. <laughs> I mean that that's still <laughs> an ongoing investigation. I was out there last uh, last April, April of twenty three, with Don Schmidt and his team. I mean there there's still things out there, evidence to be gathered and knowledge to be gained. So there, all of these sites are like a, a crime scene or an archaeology site. You know, you don't want right. them contaminated. All right, I'm going to pop up another. This is more of a statement than a question, but I'm certainly interested in your thoughts on this, which is my labs versus, well, I don't really call them abductions either. Um, onboard experiences, I think, is a much more neutral term because some people don't feel like it's a negative experience for them. But my labs being military abductions, uh, oh. which I think do take place. I mean, that's my opinion based on my own research. I'm wondering you've run across that or what your opinions or research shows on that? Yeah, that's what I'm investigating right now. I'm doing research on, let me put it that way. And um, some of them, yes. I the, the, the What I do is I, I go online and I look and try and find as much as I can on a certain area where there's people that have been, somebody has been taken and they've reported that. And then the people that have written books, and a lot of times the books are a transcript of a regression. And I buy the books. I just got two more books today. And from there, it's when you read the transcripts, There's, it's not uncommon to have somebody say, well, I saw somebody in a military uniform. And they said they almost, you know, they looked human and they were military. Yes, I think, I think in some cases, absolutely, I think so. I think maybe in some cases, maybe not, but yes. And I've been reading some reports that have to do with the cow mutilations that are done by our military and some that are not. So I think, yes, I think that's the reason why there is never going to be full disclosure because I think 
Um, not necessarily our military, because some of the reports I read were from the UK. Some of the reports were from Brazil. Some of the reports were from Mexico. There are governments out there worldwide that are covering things up. And yeah. Secret right. governments, whatever you want to call oh, them. Right. <laughs> Ab absolutely. Secret government projects. And we're never going to know everything. But I'm proud to you. know as much as I know mm -hmm. now, because... I never would have expected that they would even have a hearing or an office at the Pentagon. Um, yeah, you so that's what they say too, because they're they're not speak. It's not evidence that's actually being brought to them. They say they're going into skiffs and disclosing things, you know, whistleblowers, or whatever. But the way they've worded everything is, uh, the government is not actually saying it. The whistleblowers are. They're letting them be the mouthpiece. They're mm -hmm. still deniability about it and you have to really listen to everything they say you know plausible deniability is their second name and you know their way of speaking to people and you have to really really hear what they're up and about you know and it's, they're just they use a lot of their uh, meetings as a way of gaining funding for special funds that they want to have and they use this now as a tool to get what they want yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Somebody even brought that up. I think it was uh, Brush, um, that, that congressman that said that. And I mean, that's why you go, you know, when I first got involved at the level I'm at, I went to every conference that I could afford that I could find. I started <laughs> sharing the cost of it with my brother. And so, you know, we shared a room and... Um, and, and two separate beds. <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> uh, we'd go in there and go, oh, sorry, all we have is a king, a king size bed. And he'd go, I want a rollaway. He says, there's right. not enough pillows. There's your brother. <laughs> Chuck, Chuck Zukowski, also an investigator. Yeah. Yeah. And um, <laughs> we we were able to double the amount of places that we were able to go. So uh, I, I lost count at 30 plus times being in Roswell and out on the debris field. Uh, we went to DC to a conference. We we went to all the MUFON ones. We we were we went to open minds everywhere. Uh, every year I go to a conference in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, Paranormal Expo, which is a uh, it's the last weekend of October, and it's a charity event for the um, General MacArthur Museum. You know, so it's, it's a very worthwhile and you get a lot of information there. But that's the whole point. You go to as many conferences as you can, if, even if you it's just one you drive to something locally. Yeah. That's where the knowledge we're all trying to share the knowledge. And that's the best way to get the knowledge out there. And a lot of these people, they have they have books or pamphlets or I mean, something. And, and the great thing is the first time. I spoke with Jorge Martin, who is a lead investigator in Puerto Rico. I saw him at a conference. I bought his book. There was a phone number in the back of the book. I called it and it was him. I talked <laughs> for two hours on the phone and then I thought, oh, is this going to cost? And I talked to AT&T and they went, oh, no, no, Puerto Rico is okay. You can call Puerto Rico and it doesn't cost, you know. Right. It's like Canada. It's not a long distance call. Uh, right. But like Chris, Chris Stiles, who has investigated Shag Harbor. And this man that he that he's a lot of these people have one project and that man knows more about Shag Harbor than anybody else. He actually had the newspapers. He saw the commotion, everything going on back when he was a kid. You know, it was all over the news. Yeah. What's going on? Uh, Don Schmidt. If you want to know something about Roswell, Don Schmidt is the person. He's got so many books out. He's been doing this since the like 70s or 80s, like late 70s, 80s. I mean, it. 
uh, as much or more, he's done more investigation hands-on than Staten Friedman did. Staten Friedman, Staten Friedman was the first one that brought forward the whole Roswell thing. But Don right. Schmidt has more knowledge than anybody on it. And you have to get to the, and there are a good time to, you know, get to these conferences and you meet and talk to other people, people that have experienced things that are trying to investigate it on their own. They had something happen and you all get together and you're like, you, you become a family. I was just going to say that. You you're all, to meet your peeps. <laughs> right. We're, we're all, we're all a family and you, you just sit and you talk to people and you go in and you listen to what all the, these people that are very knowledgeable and that's the only way we're all going to open our minds and we're going to know what's going on is we have to share information and you're not going to do it by just, you know, like I said, sitting at home and watching a sitcom. Um, exactly. I've never, I've never, I've never read a romance novel. I've always read science books, uh, anything about ETs, anything about, you know, like ETs or, you know, extraterrestrials, anything about, about the oceans, uh, about um, archaeology, you know, it's about the area. It, it, you know, the, the we have so much to learn. <laughs> There's so much out there to learn. Question, I don't want to let you go before I ask it. Um, you keep saying debris field, and I'm losing my mind over here. I can't believe anybody even asked you directly. So, have you found anything in the debris field when you've been out there? Is any any of your group? Yeah, we. It was in a. Uh, I went in 2002, 2006, and then this past year. I was invited back, but uh, my brother and I were sifting in 2002. We found a, a triangle-shaped silver metallic piece. Uh, it, it originally were out there. It was the show was taped kind of as background for um, Taken. That one with that that little girl that screamed a yeah. whole lot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and um, and it it got more. It was uh, a two-hour documentary on Roswell, and it was the highest-rated two-hour two documentary ever. Wow! Uh, we found a silver metallic piece. It ended up being the property of the University of New Mexico at Albuquerque. Uh, my brother Chuck uh, took had permission to get it released. It was a very, 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 very high content of aluminum with a little bit of silicon. Mm -hmm. Since then, I heard that he went back not too long ago and found some other pieces of something that are unidentified. <clears throat> there, they have found a few little things. We found some kind of an orange mass, but you know, this has been since 1947, uh, July 5th of 1947. Yeah. So uh, most of the debris is gone, but I, I talked to actual witnesses. Um, uh, uh, Fawn Fritz, who is a granddaughter of... Um, um, uh, Oh gosh, not let's see what um, Mac Brazel's granddaughter, and she was telling us that that I said, how do you know what area this thing came down? That two two ships collided, one in different directions, one skipped, and some beings fell out of one. And she said she remembers Granddaddy. You know, Granddaddy was more upset on his deathbed about the, these creatures. There were creatures that that died. Um, that the animals wouldn't walk across the field. She said there wasn't yep. a jackrabbit, a spider, nothing for this quarter of a mile where this debris was for two years. Something was there. And at the same at Marley Woods, Ted Phillips said there was an area there where something landed. And he said the cows busted down the fence rather than go across that area. So you may not necessarily find physical evidence, but just, you know, the, 
the evidence of animal reaction. When I go on an investigation, if a person has a dog, I'll say, yeah, absolutely, let's bring the dog. We went on an investigation in Versailles, Missouri, and they said that there was a craft, an upside down triangle with all these purple and blue lights and a being standing about 50 foot from the back of the house and it was holding something. And I said, where? And they said, well, it was right there. And I said, how did you notice it? And he said, well, he and his 10-year-old son were out there. They thought the woods were on fire 1.30 in the morning, and they went out to look. The little boy was still awake. The, the mom and the other boy were asleep. And the deer were stampeding by. Something scared them, and then they looked over, saw this being. And I said, well, let's just walk over there. I'll take some readings. When it came time for the dog to walk over, the dog just started growling and backed up and walked a big circle around that area. Wow. Now, this That's year, years walking. after, huh? Wow. Uh, no, no, this was uh, about two days after. Oh, okay. This was a, I went right, this was one of the cases, we had a case called in, they said there was a landing site, and I went right down there, right down there and gathered soil. The, the cow mutilations, uh, the, the soil, the most of what we found is the position of the cow. There's a lot of commonalities, and the soil around it is dehydrated. Uh, that's probably... The that's probably one of the, the you know, the closest thing to anything. I had one cow mutilation that the, the cow, the ribs were broke, but it weren't they weren't broke this way. They were broke long way. That's weird. Wow. Yeah, I had another one they found on ice and it wasn't a drop of blood. Huh. It was laying on the ice and um, its udder was cut out and the side of its face and its tongue. But there wasn't a drop of a drop of blood. There'd been an ice storm. And the cow was dead on the ice, no blood. Uh, so, well, that, anyway, I'm that, sorry. That's, I'm a, whole, that's a whole other show. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. You know, you may not find trace evidence, but a, enough of just the circumstances around gives you one of those, huh, okay. Put that in the gray file like Stanton Friedman used to do, and you may you add mm -hmm. up a lot of the one more piece of the puzzle because all of this is pieces of a puzzle. And the more pieces you get in, the more you can see the big picture. Wow. Well, we've still got 10 minutes left and I've got oh, more questions okay. and we're going to be able to answer, but I'm going to try. And bump I'll answer them. Them. <laughs> so here is the next one in line, which comes from Mystery Products, LTD. Is there a relationship between astral travel and ET experience? Um, I certainly I, have my own thoughts on that. I think so. I've, okay. Because yeah, I, my answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I investigate water. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we're all entities. We're all consciousness. Okay. And everybody can astral project everybody, including ET. And if you're astral projecting and you happen to come across an ET, that would not surprise me at all. Okay. We're all, we're all together in the soup here in this universe, especially in uh, people who are consciously astral projecting are seeing things that are a little weird to them and seeing an ET, another worlder, is not an uncommon experience among them. Even Preston's had that experience. And uh, we're just, we're all together. We're all one. And when we leave our bodies, we all go back to source, including them. They're all part of us. And so, yeah, you can see ET. If you have the ability to astral project at will, that means you're awake. You're uh, you're becoming uh, more and more psychic every day. You're using your abilities, and uh, ET may try to contact you psychically at that point. That's a connection, also. So, okay, cool. Yeah. Learned, see, I learned I've, something. <laughs> I've concentrated most of my research on people who've had onboard experiences, and I do hear that quite a bit. 
Okay. So moving on to the next question, because we are running out of time so fast. This one is from Allison Carr, and she's asking you, Debbie, what is your most wild case, like Bigfoot or reptilian or anything like that? <laughs> My most wild case. Um, MUFA doesn't investigate Bigfoot. Um, reptilian, thank you very much. I haven't had the chance to run into one of them. I heard they're nasty beings. Um, probably, um, I would say probably the one the, uh, that I'm working on now, the one with the strange lights and, you know, the unexplained, we have um, unexplained things in the water. And uh, there was actually a sign of big, but there's branches bent over. It's at the area between that and Marley Woods. And so those, those two right there would be probably the ones where it's multiple things going on in one little area and ongoing for several years. All right. And she's asking <laughs> another question. Have you heard anything new about the beings in Lake Baikal? No. And that I've been looking around trying to find that. I haven't heard any more. I just, I found a report that they had back, I guess it was, I think it was 82 that they had stopped diving, you know, once they, if you didn't know anything about Lake Bacal, they were, they were um, Navy divers, seven Navy divers went down 165 feet, came across four alien beings that were 10 foot tall with these helmets on, went back up. Um, their, the government or their, their superiors told them to go back down, try and catch one. They threw a net over, found them again at 165 feet, tried to throw a net over one of them. Alien put its hand straight out. All seven immediately went to the surface. Uh, let's see, uh, three died um, the moment they hit the surface from decompression. The other four survived. They put, they had two decompression chambers. One was broke. They put the all four of them in the other one and only one survived. That's kind of the quick story to this. The thought of 165 feet, anybody that's a scuba diver, you do not go to the surface immediately. No, it takes time. A couple, three hours, depending yeah. on how long you've been down that deep. Or you're dead. That's right. Right. And they, the they way, had a hearing. Here's Debbie scuba diving. <laughs> <laughs> they had a hearing on it, and they decided that they weren't going to dive in that lake anymore or in another lake. Um, when I did Alaska Triangle, that was the next episode. We were going to go over to Lake Bacal and uh, take a look around. And we were also going to go to the Devil's Triangle in Japan. And then first we had COVID hit. And then right after that, just as we were getting ready to go back, I had talked to Alaska Triangle. They had said, uh, yeah, we can't go to Russia. Uh, so we don't want to go to, <clears throat> to Russia with all that's going on with Russia and Ukraine. So... <clears throat> But however, I just remembered that. I think I'm going to be on Ancient Alien in February. Ah, cool. They were cool. Taping okay. that. That's the big one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not on site in Roswell and still the same thing. They, were, they had writer strikes and all kinds of stuff going yeah. on. So. All right. Well, I think we have time for one more question. Yeah. I know I didn't get to all of them, guys, so I'm sorry. But they can email me, mufondiver at gmail.com. All right. Cool. <laughs> So here is a question from Louise, and they're asking, Debbie, do you ever dive in underwater caves? If I so, haven't caught, yes. Oh, wait. If so, uh, any sign of UFO lights, et cetera. Um, I did dive in caves in uh, Cozumel, and a down came out. Great diving um, is scary. Uh, yeah, we had a guide, <laughs> and it was called, uh, let's see, uh, 
Punta Sur, it's a devil's throat. <laughs> and we went down and came out at, in a cavern and then came out at about 130 plus feet deep and then had to come up in levels. And so, yeah, that. They got um, caverns in the water in Florida too. You should check them out. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't, I've done cave diving. Um, I'm not an instructor in cave diving. Uh, I, it's, it, you're not going to see anything in there. It's pretty dark, but it's just fun to say I've done it. But as far as the lights underwater, no, well, the lights, yeah, I, I do night diving and then you can see that out that the, I think it's algae or um, bioluminescence. Yes, bioluminous. Yeah, and bioluminous. I see that at night. You take your hand and you can go like this and move the water around. But as far as uh, lights, no, but I did see those alien craft um, 2006 off of a Royal Caribbean ship. And, you know, that that's in the book. And um, did you put the picture? Yeah, the picture's in there. Oh, good. Okay. Very Perfect. cool. So Probably. these are the two books, everyone. Check them out. The Alien Colonization of Earth's Waterways, a reference guide to UFO, USO, water-related activity. And, of course, this one, the 50th anniversary of the Southeast Missouri Ozarks UFO flap. So we still have one more minute for you to um, tout anything else you want people to hear about, and then we have to close the show. Oh, okay. Um, oh, you really can't see the picture very well, but that's the picture in the book. And if you look real close, oh, you can oh, see wow. some green. Yes, I can. Okay. I that's, like it. That's a good one. Nice. A color picture. Very cool. <laughs> I know. And I, I got <laughs> one good. Yay. I got, most people say I saw a UFO and I, darn, I didn't get a picture. I did. Uh, let's see. It's Piedmont. Try and make your way to Piedmont, April 5th, uh, 5th through 8th for that big festival. And of course, um, I I think I'm speaking in Roswell, the, uh, the festival, the 4th of July festival. I haven't heard back from Don Schmidt. I'll be speaking in Dallas at the MUFON Symposium, the 11th through 14th. And then also Margie Kay has the X Conference. That's October 11th through 13th in Springfield, Missouri. And then I'll be speaking at the Little Rock Paranormal Expo, October 25th through 27th. And so any of those places, if you want to hear more about water, um, water sightings, I'll be talking about it there. Or the books are for sale on Amazon. Um, or you can email me at mufondiver at gmail.com. And you can ask all your questions, and I'll be happy to answer them. Well, thanks awesome. so much for coming on the show. It's been awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. We enjoyed it, and uh, we'd love to have you come back and unpack some more. That oh, would be awesome. Thank you for asking me on. I really enjoyed it. It's been very interesting and knowledgeable for me as well. Thank cool. you. Oh, and I also want to give a huge shout-out to all of you people who donated these wonderful Super Chats. It means more than you know. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are beyond generous and i really truly appreciate it so thank you thank you so much all of you Absolutely. you are awesome <laughs> okay so we've been watching the light gate and we've been coming to you live from the beautiful city of new orleans in louisiana at the united public radio network at 107.7 fm and the ufo paranormal radio network at 105.3 y'all have a great great week and we will see you next monday we got a, another guest coming on another experiencer and paranormal researcher and i am so excited about that and thank you again <laughs> thank I you for having me off. okay <laughs> <laughs> Hi, <Goodbye>. everyone. <laughs>